Blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we come to you, through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to you as those who are united by the one who took our place, who suffered a cost that is unimaginable. May we know the riches of that glorious inheritance in the saints. May we know the hope for which we are called. And may we know the immeasurable greatness of the power for those who believe. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed, um, as we processed it, it was a bit glorious, wasn't it? We had a choir, and we had these flags. This is obviously a feast day in the church calendar, All Saints Day, and there is great and deep and rich meaning. Perhaps meaning that cannot be competed with. There's a doctrine that undergirds this day, All Saints Day, that is so paramount and so fundamental to the Christian faith. But this is also our namesake, All Saints. I don't know exactly the story of how this came about. I know there was a bit of a debate between two names, and they prayed about it. But ultimately, this was the name that God chose for this church. So I think that there is great meaning for us here as our church, as, as our identity, as who we are, specifically as a local church. But there is great significance in this day for which we celebrate All Saints Day. I began with these words in our gospel reading. Because if there is one message that we should remember about celebrating all saints is that it is through the cross. It is through the cross that we celebrate our communion with the saints. It is through the cross of Christ. And because of his cross, we are emboldened and we are made glad to take up our crosses. And to follow him. And so what I would like to do is I would like to draw upon an old reformational sermon today in the book of homilies, which is one of the first fruits of the English Reformation. A significant first fruit, in fact, so much that when Mary took the throne and sought to roll back the Reformation. She was proved unsuccessful. And it was because 
These sermons, these collections of sermons, which are topical in nature, and they're topical in nature because Cranmer's interest was to ensure that pure doctrine was taking root. And that's exactly what happened. Pure doctrine took root. And God's church remains intact. And God's church continues to mature in all knowledge and wisdom, as we read in our Ephesians passage. And this is what leads the Apostle Paul to do four practical things that I want us to grasp onto today. And so before I tap into this portion of this homily, this reformational homily, let me give you four things that I think are fundamentally practical for which we can glean from on this All Saints Day. Number one is to praise. If we be saints, if we be those holy ones that will cross that heavenly threshold and that will join with those heavenly hosts, with those, with all those saints, if we be those ones, then we must praise. It's a non-negotiable. We must be people of praise. And this is not insignificant. This is not reduced to just mere formality. No, this is gravely significant. This is what we must do. And if we do not do it, then our faith is suspect. So we must be people of praise. And if we think we have no reason to praise, then we're not a people of praise. We should be able to say why. And we certainly find the Apostle Paul doing that in verses 20 to 23 of Ephesians 1. He gives a confession of faith. He gives a confession of faith, and I'll get there in a moment. But the second thing that we should do is that we should be people of prayer. So people of praise, Paul spends the first portion of chapter 1 in Ephesians blessing the Lord because of the blessings that they've received in Christ. He continues to do this. He gives thanks for them. And he then goes on to intercede on their behalf. He goes on to pray for them. And all of this is undergirded with this notion of this confession of faith that I just mentioned, which is the third thing that we must be. We must be people of faith. People who are confessing our faith. We're saying, why? Why is it that we are encouraged to pray? Why is it that we are encouraged to praise? What is the impetus? What is the motivation? Well, for Paul, in verses 20 to 23, he speaks of two things specifically. He speaks of the resurrection of Christ. That is the impetus. That gives him the audacity to be so hopeful, to be so confident. That gives him the audacity to give praise despite maybe being imprisoned or being afflicted or whatever the circumstance. He grasps the glory of the resurrection. You see, he is encouraged that they are maturing in the faith. He says this. And this is what leads him 
to offer such thanksgiving. And this is what motivates him to offer such prayers. And he says that they might know. Know what? Know the hope to which they are called. That's the past. He's looking back. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at the very work of Christ. That they might know what has occurred, the significance of this critical coordinate moment which God became flesh, who took our place, and indeed took our punishment, so that we might enjoy the glory for which His Son deserves to enjoy. Not us. No, it's the work of His Son that has made us able to enjoy the glory of His Son. Amen? So the hope to which we're called, he's looking back and then he looks forward. He says that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see, that's looking forward. He's looking to glory now. The riches. And again, all of this is undergirded in this notion of not just a knowledge, an objective knowledge, but it's a notion of this wisdom and understanding. So here we find the subjective and the objective converging Paul is encouraged by their maturation. They are maturing in the faith. And so it leads him to give thanks. It leads him to offer prayers. He looks back at the work of Christ and the glory of it. He looks forward at the, 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 heavenly, the heavenly multitude, the saints. And then he says that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power for those who believe. And here we find the present. Those who believe. Those who are believing. The power, the immeasurable greatness. We find the author in Hebrews chapter 12 saying that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're in this amphitheater. We're running this race. And the saints triumphant who've gone before us are cheering us on, are encouraging us. To run this race, to not become entangled, not to become distracted by the things on our right and our left, but to keep our eyes focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's encouragement, there's comfort in knowing that there has been godly examples that have gone before and have taken up their crosses, have fought the good fight, and are triumphant. But is this to be reduced to just to just therapy? To just a warm fuzzy? No, the fundamental truth we must grasp is rooted in, not in our text here, it's actually in previously, it's in Ephesians chapter 1, but it's fundamentally about the union that we have in Christ. That is the glory of our relationship with the saints. And that is why we are going to, in a moment, receive Holy Communion. When we celebrate our union, we come in faith and repentance, and we boldly and audaciously receive the gifts of God for the people of God. But it's not just us and Jesus. No, it's, it's being united with the Godhead, and therefore united with all the heavenly hosts, and united with all the saints. It is so important for us to grasp that heavenly vision. 
If we be encouraged, if we be people of praise, if we be people of prayer, if we be people who are regularly confessing our faith and finding meaning and purpose in offering such audacious praise and prayer, then we must have this heavenly vision. But there's also something that's subtle here in this passage. That's not explicitly mentioned, but it is implicitly most definitely mentioned, and that is fellowship. And that really does speak to the reality of the communion of saints. Is that we are to partner. We are to be united. We are to be walking side by side in fellowship together for the glory of God. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians And I begin in verse 7. This is not in our reading, but it's the passage before. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Why? Well, he gives us the purpose. He says, to unite all things in heaven. Things in heaven and things in earth. You see, All Saints Day is about a glorious union. A glorious union. And because of this glorious union, we can live audaciously. We have no reason to fear. So as we turn to briefly walk through this reformational sermon. This is, in fact, what this is titled. It's an exhortation against fear and death. It's an exhortation against fear and death. You see, the world has reason to be afraid. And we're given countless examples in this message, this reformational sermon, of why they have reason to fear. First, because in death, they lose their worldly honors and riches, possessions, and and all their carnal desires. That's the first reason that they have to fear death. They lose everything that they love. And when they die, they will no longer have those beloved things. Well, the second reason that they have to fear death is because there's much pain and suffering that's oftentimes associated with death. It's not an anomaly that those who are in their final hours, in their final days of death, that they're wishing to go because of the agony that they're experiencing. And lastly, because of eternal damnation, That awaits them. You see, every living and breathing person who loves the world has reason to fear death. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. But to those who put their whole trust in Christ, not one of these reasons of fearing death applies. We are made audacious. We are made courageous. We gladly take up our crosses. We don't fear death 
No, we long for our death. Because that is the day for which we cross that heavenly threshold. We enter into glory. Yes, a true Christian does not fear death, but instead desires and longs for it. You see, God's Word inspires us to put away such worldly fears, to put on such godly and eternal desires. For us, death will be a very deliverance from death itself. From all pains and cares and sorrows and miseries and sufferings of this world. Death will be the entry into eternal rest and joy and ineffable delight that is inconceivable to the human heart. Indeed, there will be exceeding benefits that the merciful Heavenly Father will lavish upon His children. But it will only be for those who humbly submit to God's will and love Him from the bottom of their hearts. And by loving and submitting to God, they will fix their eyes on the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, His Son. Since Christ has defeated death, those who put their trust in Him can no longer be kept under eternal tyranny and subjection. Just as Christ rose from the dead, so shall his followers. Augustine writes, the head going before, the members trust to follow and coming after. The Apostle Paul says that if Christ be risen from the dead, we will also rise from the same. Beloved, hear those comforting words from the Bible that describe death as a sleep. So that when we wake, we may expect to be more alive than we were before. While the soul may be separate from the body for a season, it will be more alive and more beautiful and more perfect than ever before. For now we be mortal, then we will be immortal. Now we have many weaknesses, then we will have no weaknesses. Now we be subject to our corrupted flesh, then we will be liberated in our heavenly bodies, desiring and enjoying nothing but God's glory for all eternity. Do you have that heavenly vision? Do we long to cross that threshold? Are we willing to die? You see, we look at death differently than the world. We embrace it, just as our Lord embraced death. Because for us, it is not death, it is life. See, this death is not dreadful, but a delight. It's not a mischief, but an excellent remedy. For those who put their trust in Christ, death is not an enemy. No, death is a friend. For them, death is not a cruel tyrant, but a gentle guide, leading us not to mortality, but to immortality, where there is no sorrow and no pain, but only joy and pleasure. It's an eternal ecstasy that is all blessed, that all blessed Christians will endure when they take and receive gratefully and bear their sufferings and death patiently. And as we approach the Lord's table, in a moment, we come there receiving these gifts 
And we receive these gifts that are savory and delightful. You see how our death has been made delightful? It's been made savory and sweet. That's what God does. He gives us such big hearts. It changes our perspective. That makes us able to take up our crosses and to follow Him. So if Christ... So if we be in Christ, then let us not fear death. But rather let us show our faith and our hope and our love in Christ by longing for that day when we cross that heavenly threshold and enjoy that heavenly union. Then we will not see through the glass dimly. No, then we will cling to the promise of God, not by being afflicted by the pains of the world, but we will cling to the promises of God and sheer and utter ecstasy and intimacy. It will be a glorious reality on that day when we will forever enjoy Him. We will forever take delight in Him. We will be free and we will be far from all that is not right in this world. Therefore, be strong, beloved. Be strong, child of God. Let your heart take courage. Practice praying and practice offering praise. Make your confessions of faith and practice fellowship with God's people. Amen.